Uh, for those that are just coming, can you give them a Benway welcome? We salute you. All right, you may be seated. We were on a mission yesterday and trusted God for, for utterance to convey his mind. And we stopped uh, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And we identified the fact that if God wants to build, he builds with grace. So grace is the currency that God makes available to actualize his intentions upon the face of the earth. Just like a man by himself cannot have a baby, you will need a woman. So God cannot fulfill what he wants to do in the earth without a man. But you see... The description of a man is a personality that is heavily laden with infirmity, with weaknesses, with insufficiencies. So God makes grace available so that it is possible for man to participate and partner with him to bring to pass that which is God's heart cry. So outside of grace, we are insufficient. With grace, we are sufficient, we are able, we are capable. We can do the works of God. So at any point in time where we notice that all the symptoms of insufficiency begin to find expression again, something like confusion, it means that you are lacking that grace that gives you access to the wisdom of God, to the mind of God. Every symptom of insufficiency is a proof that you are lacking a dimension in the manifold grace of God. So when God wants to achieve anything, what he does is that he makes grace available. So grace is the currency by which God actualizes his dream through mortal men. So he has a great plan. He wants to have sons that will operate in glory. And that plan is not possible on the strength of our humanity. He makes grace available so that we can live that life which God calls glory. And when we begin to live that way, we satisfy the desire upon his heart. He is pleased. So that was how Jesus was when God came to testify about him by the rivers of Jordan. This is my beloved son. He was full of grace. So all the symptoms of insufficiency that are attributed to humanity were not found in him. Put Jesus in any situation, he will wiggle his way out. Put him in a mob, try to kill him. He will find him. You, you, the next time you see him, you will be on the mountain taking breakfast and teaching the things of the kingdom. The things that bedeviled men could not bedevil him because there was a currency at work in his life. He was heavily funded by the grace of God. This island called Grace is the place where the believer is domiciled 
under the auspices of the new covenant. And that means God has made adequate provision for you to become everything that he has ordained you to be. Before we go further, because I need to show you the two poles of grace. There are two poles. Hallelujah. Then we'll go deeply into the economy of the working of grace. And how God makes supplies in human vessels to make us do the natural things supernaturally and to do supernatural things naturally. If you live that way, your life will be glorious and it will please God. And this is irrespective of the presence of the devil, the presence of witchcraft in your family, the presence of the idolatry that has bound the souls of men. You will walk you will walk on the, in the very circumstances that has bedeviled people and you will walk as though those limitations don't exist. This is what grace makes available. But before we press on, I would like to do something quickly. Um, I want to read something to you, but it's far away on my phone. So give me one minute. I need to fish it out. I did a robust presentation uh, at some point when uh, a lot of teaching was going on about grace that was inconsistent with the perspective of grace that is found in Scripture. So I, 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 I did that presentation on Facebook, so I had to extract it to, to read briefly to us in order to strike the balance. You see, the economy of the New Testament um, has a provision which no other religion can boast that they offer. And that's the provision of forgiveness. One of the things that grace has made available to us is the provision of forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. And Buddha cannot claim to have the power to forgive sin. There's no religion on earth that offers that blessing. And I speak as a man that has read wide, so you can trust my utterance on this matter. Now, you see, it is possible, therefore, because of the provision, the presence of forgiveness in this covenant for someone to attempt to abuse grace. The possibility of abusing grace exists. And that's why in the book of Romans chapter 6, beginning from verse 1, the Apostle Paul presents a question to us. He presented this question because he knows that our generation was going to come by. And if these issues are not clarified, people will think that grace is a license for sin. Because grace provides the possibility of forgiveness. So there is this mindset that, okay, let us sin deliberately so that we can take advantage of the forgiveness that is available. Are you with me? Meanwhile, I told you that if you decide 
to deliberately, intentionally yield yourself to sin because you understand that grace is available. Are you there? What you have done, there are eight consequences of that line of action. But I need to show you the full biblical presentation on that subject. I'm just trying to strike a balance. When I finish, this is not part of my message. But I felt that uh, someone would be excited, overly excited, without understanding, if I don't do this good business of the Lord. May the Lord help us in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, let me read to us a scripture, first of all. Meanwhile, before we move, we need to answer this question. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is the first way, the first negative way of interacting with grace. Hoping to continue in sin because the grace of God provides the possibility of forgiveness. This is what we call the abuse of grace. And you will notice that Apostle Paul did not stop with the question. Apostle Paul went further to provide the answer. He said, what? God forbid. Now, you see, if you, like I said, we have the nature of God in us. And part of what the nature of God is, is holiness. And so, if you align yourself with Christ, you will discover that Christ will begin to suck you into the realm of the spirit. He will adjust your taste buds and your desires. And you begin to desire the things of God instead of desiring the things of the fallen nature. Are you here? So if you keep yourself from things that defile, you will live holy. But Satan wants you to live in the region of defilement. And to build an existence that is outside of what the spirit of Christ through grace supports. You see, the moment I begin to align with God, what happens is that everything that is in the old creation that is rooted in my life begins to wither. Just like if you take out a plant from the ground, it begins to wither because it doesn't have support. The moment I begin to align with God and I begin to synchronize with God, everything that is of the old creation that finds a place in my existence will begin to wither so that I can begin to become a new creation. The experience of my being a new creation will begin to take the place of what I used to be before. And if you keep going, you'll discover that you are going to ex- experience what we call a change of personality. I got that from the book of Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 where Apostle Paul says, it is no longer I that live it. You see, what the testimony he is making available is not that the things that I used to do before, I'm no longer doing them. The testimony is that the person that I was before, I no longer am. So I'm talking about not change, I'm talking about exchange. So grace provides the possibility of exchange, not change. Change is weak. You can achieve change through yoga meditation. You can achieve change through, through astral meditation. 
But what we are talking about here is exchange and not change. Please help me tell your neighbor, change is weak. The way of the gospel provides for exchange. Where your operating system will be Christ himself. So that anything that is not of Christ will not be able to survive in your life. Hallelujah. So in my presentation that I spoke about, I mentioned these few points. The first point I mentioned is that grace is not. Okay, the title of the presentation was, What Grace is Not. So the first point I raised in that presentation on Facebook was that grace is not a license for sin and iniquity. The example of grace is not Samson and Delilah. The example of grace is Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Because grace gives you energy, it gives you capacity to walk away from sin. The antidote that God created in order for us to have victory over sin is grace. So grace cannot be the reason for which you are playing games with iniquity. Because grace is the solution to that life of iniquity. Before grace showed up, you, you didn't have any authority over iniquity. Iniquity was your governor. But now that grace is available, and grace is so, iniquity, sin is so ancient that your will is not strong enough authority to decide that you walk away from it. You will need something more ancient than sin, and that is the grace of God. In fact, are you there with me? So the reason, the antidote for sin cannot become the reason for sin. So I had to explain that on Facebook. Are you there? Second thing I mentioned in my presentation is that, okay, this is the explanation I gave for the first point. I said grace cannot be the basis of doing the very things for which Christ died. And I don't have time to take you to the eight consequences that befalls a man that decides to camp with sin intentionally. He's awake, he's aware, and he decides to camp with sin on the strength of a false knowledge that grace will abound. <laughs> I don't want to go there. It, it will take us a long time to dispense that. Secondly, Grace is not the basis for kingdom irresponsibility. The Bible says, seeing that we have received a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably in reverence and in godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. That's, that's the first time that God was, the metaphor fire was used to symbolize God. What's the meaning of that? You see, you see, when you study the Bible, you need to be within the context. All right? Because truth does not exist in a vacuum. So the Bible says, seeing, it is now obvious that we have received a kingdom that cannot be moved. 
what does that mean? It means if a requirement is set up in the heavens, it never changes. It will not change because you showed up. It will not change because your daughter showed up. It's a kingdom that cannot be moved. Remember that when that book that was sealed with seven seals was made available in the heavenlies. And a search, something more extensive than Google search was conducted. To see who has the stature and the caliber. To be able to unravel the book. To lose the seals and to look thereon. And when the search was completed... The Bible reveals that no man was found in heaven or in earth or even beneath the earth that had the capacity and the stature to unravel the seals and to look thereon. There was no one qualified, but the standard did not shift. That's how the kingdom is. It cannot be moved. God will not change just because you showed up and you are, you are crying. <laughs> it means you have not understood that you are the only variable, you are the one that can change. But the kingdom cannot change. So he is giving us an insight and he said, seeing that we have received a kingdom that cannot be moved, is now recommending what was in view of the above. Let us what? Have. So uh, the idea that grace makes you irresponsible, you are just looking for the next opportunity to sin and then you are wrong. Sin has deceived you because sin has the capacity to deceive. Because uh, God knows, the devil knows that if you tune to God and you begin to walk with Christ, sin will lose its power over your life. His tricks will no longer be relevant. His products that he brings for advertisement will no longer be enticing because the Bible says that it is God that works in us both to will and to do. It is God that is responsible for the desires that well up on our inside. It is God that supplies the capacity for us to do what is the desires of God that are crystallized in us on the basis of the grace of God that is at work in our vessel. Hallelujah. New taste boards, new desires, new convictions, new drives, old ambitions cut off, something more pure begins to condense upon your heart. You begin to find clarity. You understand the reason for your existence. You know why you are based in California. He walks in us. There's a workshop of God that is locked on your inside, giving you insight into the perspective of God, why you are in this situation, why you are married to your wife, what you are supposed to do to influence and enhance her. It is God that walketh in us. So when your eyes begin to open to the fact that the kingdom cannot be moved, when God sets standards, he will not change it even if there is no one qualified, he will wipe us out and wait for our children. He said, let us have grace. So I don't start any day in the morning until I find grace. He said, let us have it. Because nobody will excuse you for underperforming in the kingdom that cannot be moved. So he's advising you 
To do what? Have grace. Please help me tell your neighbor, have grace. <laughs> mm. Whereby we may serve God acceptably and he gives us a little insight into what it means to serve God. There is a reverence that is associated with accurate service. There is, there is this um, sense of the awesome holiness of God that is supposed to invade our hearts if we are going to stand in alignment with God. There is this, uh, I don't know how to put it, words fail me. He said, let us have grace. So any, your living is no longer trivial. Your service to God is not something you can do casually. Hallelujah. I've been in the ministry for a long time. But anytime I'm faced with the responsibility of speaking the mind of God, it is not something, you can ask my wife. It's not something I do casually. If only God knows how many hours of prayer I prayed for the last 35 days. Only God can tell that. I prayed until I exhausted all my prayer points. And I, I, all the prayers I know how to pray, the fast prayers, short prayers, long prayers, solemn prayers. <laughs> this is the life to which we have been sentenced. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. Because once I'm standing here, I must speak as an oracle of God. Are you there? And the pulpit is, for me, it's not a place where you come to defend yourself. You come to, you know, no. You speak as an oracle. I know what it means to serve God at that level. And you need grace mingled with a lot of reverence and godly fear to function in such a way that God will say, yeah, this is how Jesus would have done it if he were physically present. Then there's an approval on that service. So grace is not a basis for irresponsibility. It is the tonic. It is the facility that is made available for us to be able to furnish accurate service that is acceptable in the sight of God. Are you there? All right. So number three. Grace is not a ground for lasciviousness. Now, you must understand this very quickly. That grace doesn't, is not available to help support the work of the flesh. Grace is available to help implement the will of God. I know you didn't hear that. So please, help me preach again. Grace is not available to support the work of the flesh. Grace is available to implement the will of God. So the presence of grace is about the implementation of the plan of God. So it is not a ground for lasciviousness. It's just divine energy made available to give us the capacity to be able to implement God's will. So in the past dispensation, in the past years, grace became license. 
grace became basis for lasciviousness. And all forms of wantonness began to take place under the guise of grace. It was a spirit of corruption that was seeking to take hold in the heritage of God in the land. We had to go into prayer, serious warfare, to shut the voice of that demon that was speaking. How many of you have read in the book of Ephesians that it speaks about uh, winds of doctrine? Winds. Why winds? If we go to the book of Daniel and go to the book of Revelation chapter 7, you will find out that the winds there, wind of doctrine, the wind aspect of the doctrine, are teachings that are sponsored, empowered, propagated by demonic entities. We are people of faith. And the devil is aware of that. And so the devil also knows that if we believe wrong, we will live wrong. So part of the ways Satan infests our company and reduces our capacity is that he himself sponsors things hoping that people will believe in it. And the moment we begin to believe wrong, we begin to live wrong. Finally, in the presentation I did on Facebook, I said grace is not a ground for presumption or false hope. It is not the basis of a self-centered perspective. Christ comes to make us selfless so that God can be revealed through our vessel. So that's just a recap. I had to dredge through Facebook to find my older contemplations. The Lord will help us in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me take a step further. Uh, Just take a step further for the next 30 minutes. And uh, I will be out of your way. The two poles of grace. Now that we know that grace is the currency that God makes available. Now that we understand that if grace is available and we know how to access grace, we can live the life of glory and fulfill the dominion mandate. And all the insufficiencies that Satan has put, made available in your city, around your ministry, in your life, to keep you short of what God intends, will be swallowed up instantly the moment you find how to access the grace of God. You see, if we can, if we can plug into this resource base, then the list among our numbers will become like David. Then, irrespective of the presence of, of Satan, the devil, we will become everything that God has said that we are. Are you there? So, Satan, please help me preach. Satan is not that important. If we understand the grace of God. Two poles of grace. First scripture for the morning will be First Peter chapter 5 verse 10. Second scripture for the morning will be Titus chapter 2 verse 11. But the God of grace who had called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that he had suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, 
settled you. Hallelujah. So it's the grace that is going to do what? It's going to make you what? Perfect. The grace is going to do what? Establish you. The grace is going to do what? Strengthen you. Then the grace will do what? It will settle. That will become your reality. It means that your reality will be embossed and established by reason of the energy called grace. But you see, what you are not seeing that I want to draw your attention to in this scripture is an introduction of a personality. He's called the God of all grace. So the first pole of grace is the God of grace. If you want to understand grace, we will need to give you a lecture on this personality called the God of grace. It is the God of grace. Are you there? Oh my God. It is the God of grace that will make you perfect. It is the God of grace that will establish you. It is the God of grace that will strengthen you. It is the God of grace that will do what? Settle you. Hallelujah. Okay. Second pole of grace. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. So the first, I will teach on the first pole and, and sit down. Then you will study the second pole. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was in my studies and I was consumed. The only person that can approach me in that condition is my wife. If, if you come there, we'll have, we'll, have, we'll, have problem. we'll have problem. So when she came, I now gave her the two poles. I said, what's the meaning? She said, that's why you are called. <laughs> why would I be laboring to know <laughs> you are sitting here? Oh, Jesus. There are some scriptures that will never be unlocked until the grace of God on your life begins to speak. Oh, my God. You don't, there, we talk about creativity. Is that the right word? You are trying to create. You just be who you were ordained to be by grace. You will be unique by yourself. People will seek you out. Because no one else can preach your sermon. No one else can sing your song. No one else. That scripture remains unlocked until you show up. It doesn't matter if there are a thousand preachers on the platform. Or there is a fragrance that is unique to you. Oh my God. Find yourself. Please help me preach to your neighbor. Find yourself in Jesus Christ. So much competition, everyone trying to be like every other person. That's a short for that's a that's a personality cult. If if I insist that every pastor under me he needs to talk like me, we are running a cult. The reference point of that arrangement is humanity with all of its insufficiencies. But if you stand under the influence of the empowerment, the unique empowerment that God has made available. To galvanize his process, his, his, his intentions through your life, you shine. Because our God is a shining God. You will just naturally start 
taking on the character of God because you have access to the resources that can establish his will. Are you there with me? Titus chapter 2 verse 11, the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. Next verse. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Not in the future. So it means that grace came with education. And the education, don't say you are, you are walking in grace and you are a friend of iniquity. Because there is, there is a unique line of education that grace makes available. He said, this grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. It means one of the products that the devil will use to entice you is the possibility of ungodliness. You are capable of ungodliness. Right? But you see, the man that has found grace will be educated through grace to deny it. You see, you cannot, you cannot stop colliding with the advertisement that the kingdom of darkness is making about ungodliness. It will be on your face on Facebook. It will be on, on the streets of London as you are trying to, to live godly. You will see all kinds of stuff. We were, we, we, the other day we were on Bond Street in London. We had to almost go blind in order for us to to, to navigate. You see, ungodliness will shout at you. It will scream at you. But you see, grace on your inside is education to make you deny ungodliness. The, the fallen man cannot deny ungodliness. But we can because the grace of God brings education into our vessel. It causes us to deny ungodliness. It causes us to deny worldly laws. To live soberly. And these are products that you cannot find in this age. Righteously, godly, soberly. This is the product that grace makes available in your life. You become a different species from the, the trend that is obtainable in the world because we have grace teaching us. Who is your teacher? I will learn at the feet of grace. And in my own unique situation, grace will educate me on how to live soberly. In my own unique situation, grace will educate me on how to live righteously. In my own unique situation, grace will give me the ability to survive and to live above the advertisement that is captured in what worldly laws. Not in the days to come, but in this present war. But guess what? Go back to 11. What is going to do that? Is the grace of God. So we have two poles. The first pole is the God of grace and the second pole is the grace of God. That's the question I asked my wife. What is the difference? I'm asking you now. Don't be quiet. <laughs> what, what is the difference between the God of grace? It's the one that establishes you. The grace of God comes to teach you. So, what's the difference? So, I will do the God of grace then I'll allow you to study the grace of God. John chapter 1, beginning from verse number 14. We're called to live a life that this world cannot produce. We're called to be men 
of whom this world is not worthy. Just because God has gave, given us the capacity to live the way he lives. Because he makes resources available to sponsor that expectation. Are you there in the book of John chapter 1 verse 14? And the word, they, I, oh my, you are not, you are not following. Now, before, because, because we need understanding, we will need to go to the book of John chapter 1 verse 1 before we jump to John chapter 1 verse 14. In John chapter 1 verse 1, this is John. And when we talk about John, we are talking about some of the few people in the entire Bible that saw so far, the farthest into hallowed antiquity. They saw men that saw the farthest into the eternal past. Are you with me? All right, so the Bible says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So what is going on here is that there's an introduction to an eternal personality that is an actor in the quadrant of the Godhead, a significant player in the outcomes that find expression in the efforts of God. You see with me? This personality is called the Word. And the Bible says that he was in the beginning. And when you look at it, can I get my other Bible? Um, Pastor Dan. When you look at it, using the eyes of the original language in which that text was written, you might discover the word logos. And logos talks about the logic of God. Logos talks about the compendium of the wisdom of God. Logos talks about a compendium of the purposes of God. So there was a warehouse of God's wisdom. There was a warehouse of God's purposes. There was a warehouse of God's strategies. Someone that operated in administrative capacity in the quadrant of the Godhead. So John, in his vision of hallowed antiquity, identifies this personality and he wants us to know about this personality. You see, the, the book of John is like a thesis. It's a thesis on God. And John, uh, oh my God, I like, I like his presentation. I like the way he sells this revelation. He says that everything that was made, oh, okay, next verse. Give me the next verse. The same was in the beginning with God. That means at every point in the eternal past, this personality who is the compendium of God's wisdom and logic, was always in the circle of the Godhead. This is supposedly an individual um, that um, many of us may not have seen very vividly in the Old Testament, even though he's, he's been there all along. John is making a bold disclosure of this personality. And he says that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. John says in him was life. 
Because when they probed further, if you want to understand God, for instance, on the basis of the things that he has made, there is no end to the things that he has made. In March, when I was in the UK, I was doing some studies and I found out that some fish were just discovered March this year. So they were struggling to find names, names for the fish. Now, so if you want to study God by the things he has made, there's no end to that study. Because we yet don't know everything that God has made. The Bible says that in him was life. And this life shined on men. If, if he lives naturally on the strength, on the empowerment of that life, men will always look upon him as a wonder. John was trying to make us to understand that if we are going to study God, then we must study that personality called the word of God because all of the administrative activity that has to do with God circles around him. He is the person to study. Just like you want to study life, you need to begin to study life from the position of the cell because the cell happens to be the smallest unit of life. So if you want to study God, you will need to study this personality called the word of God. Because everything that God is doing, that the Godhead is doing, he has a significant role to play. So if we know him, we will understand the administration of God and we will know God. Are you with me? You are not with me. One of the mysteries of the universe is God. Another mystery of the universe is the earth. But I don't have time for that. But if you are going to understand the mystery of God, then you must understand this personality that is the word. And as we study that personality, you will now discover that that personality who is the word is the personality that became the Christ. So in the study of God, we need to understand that the mystery of God is Christ, the word. If we cannot understand Christ, we cannot understand God. If we cannot understand the personality called the word, then go home. We cannot understand God. So John gives us a clue. So everything we're looking for is in him. Are you there? In him was life. And this life was the light of men. And this light, it shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Then you can jump to 14 now. In 14 it says that this word was made flesh. This word dwelt among us. This word was the representative of the Godhead that God sent to colonize us. You see, after the fall of man, there were two options that God had. The first option was to take one of us to heaven and take him through training so that he would learn how to operate like the man that God had in mind. Do you understand that? We were already under the influence of a mutation. And the possibility of approximating to God's vision for man was no longer in view. So if God wanted to help us, he needs to take one of us, maybe Tolu. We will take Tolu to heaven and then begin a crash program, an educational system until Tolu now understands the vision for man. Then he comes and then he educates us. That's one of the ways. 
Another way is you, you, you export a creature, a being of heaven to the earth for the education. So the heavens decided to send the word to come teach us how to live because uh, we have been distorted. So this word will become our reference point. He will teach us how to live by living. And then when you see him, that's when you will discover that you are malfunctioning. <laughs> you, <laughs> you are not with me. You are not with me. You think you are doing good. You think you are just excellent. You are the best guy. You are the sharpest guy in your class. You're, with all the ways by which men rate men. You got A's. You got the, the highest likes on Facebook. The, your views were great. And you'll be feeling cool about yourself until you meet this word that became flesh. Then you just realize, I'm not doing good. Because, because uh, oh my God, he shines. He's, he's, God's, he's God's advertisement to humanity about what God had in mind before he conceived the idea of man. So when you see him in every situation, that's God's idea of a man. And when people now saw that he had access to an economy of possibility in the spirit, people just naturally became his students. So sometimes he does education for three days and they forget about food. Oh, you're not here. You're not following me. He will just sit down. He'll just sit down and he'll be taking fish and he'll just be talking. And he will say the things that you cannot find in any book. In fact, so much so that the clique of Nicodemus in the Sanhedrin sent, the, sent, sent him in the night to present accreditation to him in the night. We know that thou art a teacher come from God because no man it was one man that went to meet Jesus, but he said, we know, because it was a clique that sent him. I'm not here by myself. I came because in our council, we'll take any particular interest in your ministry, in what you're doing on the countryside. And we have come to the conclusion of the fact that we know that thou art a teacher sent from God. Because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So we know you are a teacher. Not because of what you teach. We know you are a teacher because of the miracles you do. Are you there? Because we also are teachers, but we don't know where we came from. That's what. <laughs> the moment Jesus comes on the scene, then you find out there's something wrong with you. Nicodemus felt he was a teacher until Jesus showed up. They said, you are the one from God. We, we came from other places. All of that was made possible when the word was made flesh. Then we had something to compare ourselves with. And we just discovered that at our best, we are not good enough. This is the example of what it means from God's perspective to be a man. So the question now is, how does he live like this? 
Because to him, the supernatural is natural. To him, the natural is supernatural. All the insufficiencies that bedevil humankind, we don't see him around. We don't see them around him. He was in his fix one time and he was called to pay temple tax. And you are not supposed to pay temple tax if you are an Israelite. He could have, <clears throat> he could have taken them to court and a, a debate would have ensued. But he said, so that we do not offend. Right? He now gave Peter the wisdom. He said, Peter, I know you've been following me for so many years, but your net is still there. Your hook is still I'm aware it. you kept it just as, <laughs> as insurance. You, you kept your hook. <laughs> Can you reach back to your hook quickly? We need it now. And he gave him insight. It's not as if he spoke in tongues. And they said, Peter, Peter. No, it, it, it just flowed. It just, it just flowed. It just flowed. It, 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 he was saying, this is how I am. This is where I live. This is, this is me. This is. He shined on them. He shined. It became obvious that he was operating from a place. And that's why the book of John is the book of life. The secret of Jesus was the economy of life that supported him. And that's what John identified in his presentation when he was Opening up the book. In him was what? Oh, you're not following. You're not following the presentation. And this life was light unto men. So the secret of Jesus was the life he had. The book of Matthew speaks about his kingship. It is the book of the kingdom. In the book of Matthew, he tries to show us the working principles of his kingdom and how his kingdom is supposed to influence mortal men. But in the book of John, which is the book of life, it shows us the secret of this word that has been made flesh. That his secret is in the life that he carries. That is what supports this kind of existence. If you are still with me, say amen. amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. You see, if, are you there? Grace comes to empower you to live a life that is glorious. A life that reveals God. That life that reveals God, if you live it, God will be pleased with you. Because he's making an advertisement, a statement through your life. He's trying to say that in spite of the presence of the devil, are you there? You can still walk in victory. And show the devil that he's insignificant. Is irrelevant just because you have access to the understanding of what God has made available to fast track your life, to galvanize your life. No matter what you think the problem is, there is a curse that is in your family and it has bedeviled the life of so many people. If you understand the grace of God, you will walk out of that place of limitation and you will embrace something that the curses cannot influence. stories to tell you. Stories of limitations. Stories of darkness that, that bedeviled us in our family. And a time came where the crystal door of grace opened to me. I have since walked free. And I'm not just free. 
God empowered me with another measure of grace to go back into darkness and to bring those that are still struggling in that space out to the good land. And you will not go back without pain. You will not go back without limitation. Because the hand of God is here to orchestrate a change in your life in the name of Jesus Christ. There's something stronger. Something deeper than anything the devil can do. It is the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. This is the first introduction that John makes about the God of grace. There is a person who is the fullness of grace. And the person of grace happens to be Jesus Christ. He's the advertisement that God makes that reveals the hope of mortal man. You know the Bible says for those he predestinated them he also called. And those he called them he justified. And those he justified, them he glorified. The example of the fact that it is possible for humanity to inherit glory is Jesus himself. Because this word, he was made flesh. This word, he died. This word, he rose from the dead. This word, he walked into glory as a man. And that's the greatest example. That humanity can embrace glory. It is Jesus himself. The God of grace. The God of grace. It was the God of grace that I met. Oh my God. In my beggarly situation I met the God of grace. You know what does the God of grace do? According to Peter as I round up. Oh, I still have 31 minutes. <laughs> I think that's the work of the God of grace. <laughs> the God. Ah! Oh. Let me, let, me, let me jump. Let me jump. Let me jump. The God of grace. That's the man I met. I remember in the place of prayer and the God of grace, he, he held me on the head and he touched my brain. Oh, you think I'm intelligent? No, I'm not. But the God of grace has touched my brain. And it's as if he opened it up. And the scriptures, the Bible connected. So I advertise the God of grace. He's my sufficiency. He's the reason behind my utterance. He's the reason behind my strength. My commitment to the work of holiness is on the merit of the God of grace. Have you met him? If you meet the God of grace, you will stop singing those songs of insufficiency. Alright, let me give you one more scripture. Then you will, let's go deeper, just one. It's obvious I will not finish my message in this conference. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 15, verse 10. I think you will get it now. He, so, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. You know, we spoke about the possibility of abusing grace. The next position is the possibility of receiving the grace of God in vain. So God is making the supplies available, but it's not translating to what God intends to get out of your life. And we are going to move from that space. We are going to move from that space, from that place. So that every strand of the investment of grace on your life translates to what God desires. So that you can become his advertisement. You will become the proof that Jesus is exactly the person he said he is. Our generation is in contemplation. They are in the value of decision. They don't know what to believe. But when you show up, the God of grace will have an exhibit. Will have a proof. Will have evidence. Those of you that know me, those, um, 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 I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, some people that knew me while I was on campus in the university, they are in this place. And they can tell you of my stammering, my stammering. Hallelujah. But I met the God of grace. He said, he say, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet, not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Mm. According to this man, there are two laborers here. You are not with me. He labored. But he said that labor was not his labor. That labor was the labor of the God of grace. So the God of grace is laboring in your labor. It's the one that makes, okay, our sister just sang, just ministered here. Um, the reason why the songs touched your heart was not because of her singing. was because behind her singing was the labor of the God of grace. And Paul was able to identify that beyond his own efforts, beyond his own activities, there was another activity that was going on on the inside. There was a labor, an effort that was done beyond his own capacity that was responsible for what he has become. For I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, I labored. So for, just for some people that believe that, the moment you receive grace, you don't labor anymore. Paul is saying, I labored more. The reason why I could labor more was because there was a labor behind my labor, giving me capacity and making my own labor more effectual. There is a partnership that the God of grace brings into your vessel to take your efforts beyond the normal capacity of humanity into a space, into a realm that you are not humanly capable of reaching. But the labor within your own labor now makes you effectual. Now gives you the, you see, on the strength of this, there is no 
human way we can measure what you can become under the grace of God. Because we cannot, it was not, it's not just a, listen to me. What I'm talking about here is not, it's not just a gift. It's not as if God gave you a gift and he's waiting for you to use it. No, what we are saying here is God made himself available to you to labor in your labor. If you don't understand that the God of grace is the one responsible, then you don't, your eyes have not yet been opened. You think you are a star. There's nothing of stardom in you. It is the greater one that is in you that is laboring, that is responsible for every form of benefit that you have entered into. So if your eyes are closed to the God of grace, you are blind. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. That's the, my best scripture in the Bible. I, I like to keep it for the last because I am crucified with Christ. The first thing this scripture talks about is that humanity is deleted. Nevertheless, there is a way I still live. But it's not me that is alive. But it is the God of grace that is living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God. What's this man trying to say? That there was, it's not a gift. It is a person. The God of grace. is the one at work on my inside. So if you want to measure my capacity, you will never be able to do that if you don't know the capacity of God. And that's why Paul says, I can do all things through the God of grace that is operational on my inside. See, the Bible says something. The Bible speaks about the fact that if you are joined to the law, that's 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17. Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians 6 17. Give me that scripture on the board. It says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So the moment I gave my life to Christ, I became one spirit with God. I need to explain that. Because you are in league with the God of grace. This is the union. This is the true mystical union that the Bible speaks about. How I am united with Christ. How I am one with Christ. And marriage of man and wife is a platform through which that mystical union can be understood and can be displayed. How did you become born again? It was faith to, to, you believed in your heart and you confessed with your mouth. How did you marry? You believed that this woman, I have witness of the Holy Ghost, that this is the one I'm going to run with. Hallelujah. In my case, it was dinner. I was high in the spirit. High in the Holy Ghost. And the name dropped. May the name drop. <laughs> May it drop. May it drop. In the name of Jesus Christ. The name drop. So I knew in my heart that it was my destiny to walk the road of purpose with this damsel. But she, she never became mine until I confessed it. In the 
That's how you got born again. And then you are now bound by covenant. Your performance is based on the common union. The, the wisdom you generated as a single, you survived by it. You existed by it. It can no longer work because the system has changed. Are you there? It's, it's, it's common union. That's what happened to you. The time you gave your life to Christ, you became one with God. How many of you know Coke? You know Coke? You know Fanta? If you mix Coke and Fanta, what's the result? Is it Coke? Is it Fanta? Give it a name. What name will it be? Exactly. So he that is joined to the Lord, it's not, it's not your human spirit. It's not exactly the Holy Spirit. It's a new economy. So the God of grace is, is joined to you. The implication of that is like you get a Mercedes Benz or you get a Honda car and you insert a Mercedes Benz engine. You see, the car still looks Honda. It still carries the logo. But in terms of performance, it will perform like a Mercedes Benz. So the moment God was factored with your spirit, we can no longer fully articulate your performance because your performance, the capacity that is available to you is no longer human capacity, but it is divine capacity. For instance, the Bible says that no man knoweth what is in man, the things of man save the spirit of man that is in him. Even so knoweth no man the things of God save the spirit of God. It means that the spirit of God that is in you, he, he knows the things of God. So the Bible now said, now we have received the spirit which is not of this world, but the spirit which is of God that we may know. So we have access to the things of God through the Holy Ghost. No, that's, that's the God of grace. He takes you beyond humanity. And it takes you into the things of God. The capacities of God. The dynamics of God. So that you can operate as a man from the realm of God. That is the life of glory. It's the invitation for us to operate in the realm of God. With the energy of God which is grace. And if you know what grace is. And that God doesn't just release grace as a gift. But there is the personality of grace that has taken residence in your spirit man and his labor must be as is, is what makes your own labor effectual and effective. So I can speak and beyond my speaking, something will begin to happen to you that is not, is not related to what I say. Because there is a labor that is behind my labor that makes my own labor effective. So the description of life from the perspective of the apostle Paul is based on the labors of the God of grace. The only thing that is impossible for you is what is impossible for God. For the Bible says with God. This was what I discovered years ago. When God began to tell me how that we were going to network the world. It was like sacrilege to think that way. But grace comes to educate you. It comes to take you outside of the box. It comes to give you the accurate frame of mind. To be able to capture what God sees. 
Men don't think that way. Oh my God. Because when God, if you, if you hack into God's thoughts, his thoughts are filled of nations and generations. His thoughts are filled about you. So when you hack into his thoughts, because he will make you host his thoughts. He will make you think his thoughts because his spirit is on your inside. When you hear that the Holy Ghost is symbolized by the metaphor water. That's the way, that's the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in which he enters into your thoughts and begins to think his thoughts through your thoughts so that he can recalibrate you. You think like a fallen. You think like a mortal. You think with limitation. But when God steals into your thoughts, he gets you to begin to think without limitation. Because if God does not recalibrate your soul, if God has not done something in your soul, it cannot happen on the ground. So he begins to walk on your, on your thinking. He says, yes, you can come out. You can come out. You can be a spectacle of my glory. Your vocal cord can carry my will. You can become my messenger. I know that's not how you see yourself. You see yourself like someone that is abandoned, someone that is forgotten. That's the way fallen men think. I believe that as long as the Lord does not leave me, Satan will have a hard time because we are taking him out of the nations. For it's no longer I. I cannot see myself in this picture anymore. His presence with me has swallowed up all the possibilities of thinking that this is me. It is no longer I. The things I conceive in my heart is not because of my intelligence. The things that sit on my mind is not because I have dexterity. There is one laboring within me that is giving me capacity to become everything that I don't have capacity to become in the natural. The God of grace is the one at war. So it doesn't matter where you were born, at the backside of the wilderness. It doesn't matter how you grew up. You grew up with wicked relatives. It doesn't matter the witchcraft that was done on you. When you were born, you were taken to a coven and your destiny was prophesied. Demons were released to watch over those walls who performed them. You will be a creature of limitation until you enter into that space that is so large that it has no end. The island of grace. I found the God of grace and that's my testimony and that's the testimony of Paul I am what I am so when I think now I don't factor my limitations into that thinking I stand in the city of Makodi I can see the world in need of the gospel of the kingdom I stand in this city and when I listen to the news on BBC, on CNN, I see what is lacking. It is the God of grace that is lacking. And there's no form of approximation you do. No form of analysis you do that will make society better if the God of grace is not factored into it. 
I, I, I see the ups and downs in economies. And I, and I, I, I envisage that good land. That good land of God. That, 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 that you will eat bread without scarceness. And that possibility is made available because God has blessed us in the spirit realm. In Christ Jesus with all spiritual blessings. So he begins to take the idea of limitation away because of that supply. The more you see it, the more your circumstance will lose the authority to influence and to control your life. The more the God of grace becomes enlarged, the more you break out of the prison house. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I am joined with him already. I'm not about to be joined with him. I am joined with him in the spirit. So I have access to the things of God. I have access to the supplies of God. I have access to the reinforcement that comes from the heavenlies. I am not alone. There is he that walks within me. And greater is that one that is within me than he that is in the world. So my life is supposed to be an evidence of the fact that I will be victorious every time if I contend with him that is in the world because I'm a carrier of he that is greater than him that is in the world. If I align myself with him that is walking within me, then I can do all I want to provoke you in a moment of time to come out of the prison house. The prison house of deception that Satan has kept you all these years. Can you find your masculinity? Can you find your courage? And come out of that place. And journey into the good land. Oh my God. That place where we will mine iron from the rocks. Where we will walk on butter. Where the rivers, the mountains will gush out with rivers of honey. Come out of the hiding place. Come out of the prison house. Because the God of grace is going to hold your hand. The God of grace is going to lift you up. The God of grace is going to change your story. to change your story you will become his evidence so when I come be my sick and I belong to the family of Yahweh I am standing on the 